My Mac Podcast 273, rounding out the year 2009. You're listening to the My Mac Podcast with your hosts, David Cohen and Guy Searle. And welcome to My Mac Podcast 273. Looking at the last week of 2009... My name is David Cohen, and I'm here with my compatriot, Guy Sell. Yes, I, I'm. I'm like the bad penny that always turns up. <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way, Guy. Oh, great! Thank you. So, how has the year been for you? Uh, year has been has been really really good. I, I've I've had, I've had a good time this year. Yeah. You know, there's been there's been a couple of of weird moments here and there, but all in all, it's been great. Cool. Well, it's been very good for me too. I got my new daughter in April. Can't believe that uh, she's already eight months old. And uh, I said to my wife yesterday, I said, you know what happens when you get into the new year? Before you know it, it's uh, it's spring and uh, she'll, be, she'll be one year old. And I can't believe that really. Well, you know, I, I, you know uh, just before the show, we were talking about how we were going to talk about the, you know, the, the year of, of Apple this year for 2009. And you actually weren't able to go to Macworld this year, uh, or no, last year. No, well, not in 2009. Uh, absolutely, I, I I went the year before 2008. Had a good time, but uh, but no, with the with the impending arrival of my daughter this in January January 2009, I was I was banned from going. To be honest, yeah. Well, <laughs> only if you wanted to stay married. Exactly. Yes. So, but but you were there, and a good time uh, was yep. had by all. I was there. Tim was there. Nemo was there. Um, uh, there was there was a whole bunch. I think that we had like seven or eight people from uh, from my Mac that was yeah. that was there at the show that year. And one of the things that that we wanted to talk about is it's not cheap to go to some of these shows, especially for David, who's coming all the way over from the UK. Yeah. And one of the things that that we're looking for is sponsorship. Absolutely, um, sponsorship is something we've had in the past. Um, it's what enables my Mac to put a, a good turnout to the show, and um, definitely, <coughs> definitely this year it's uh, with the with Apple not being at the show and the show kind of format changing its move to February. Um, it would be very good for us for us to be there and cover that for all of our listeners, and we are hoping to find some sponsors to help us do that. Um, as we've done in the past, we will be podcasting from the show. We have a slot to actually podcast from the main stage this year. So we will actually be right at the center of the action. Um, and we'll be doing our usual kind of routine, which will be working working through the booths, uh, podcasting and doing competitions and events with our sponsors. And um, if, you're, if, you, if you're in a position where you, you, you might want to take us up on that and, and help us out and get your name in front of our listenership or you know somebody who, who might be in that position, then uh, please get in touch with us um, and uh, drop us an email and, and let's talk about it. We, we'd very sure. much like to do that. You know, I mean, and if you look at just the sheer volume of, of content that we put out at Macworld, I mean, we're talking podcasts, we're talking video, we're talking, you know, blogs, reviews, all kinds of stuff that are going to be posted live during the show. And being a sponsor means that you can be front and center for quite a few of, you know, for quite a bit of the content that we create. Absolutely. Um, you know, our sponsors, are, they, they often become very good friends of ours. I know Tim is in regular touch with people we've worked with in the past. But obviously, you know, we recognize that the economy is tough and, and people are making decisions about how they want to spend their advertising money and how they want to attend these sorts of shows. So um, if you think that working with us would be a good way to uh, generate some value, then please get in touch. Definitely. Yeah. So let's um, move on and look through the uh, through the year in terms of Apple and the Macintosh. Um, there's been some highlights and some lowlights. I think it's uh, yes. it's definitely been one of the more up and down years that I, than I can remember. So yeah, it's uh, it's been you know I mean you start off with you had the MacWorld Expo and just before that show opened up, Apple announces that this is going to be the last expo that they're going to do, which, which really threw, uh, IDG 
into uh, what what's a good term? Damage control. Well, certainly, I think they had to reframe what they thought MacWorld was and uh, and what it was going to be in the future. Uh, and I think they've worked pretty hard at doing that. And um, they've got a pretty strong lineup this year, I think. Bearing in mind that Apple aren't there, um, they have some very good speakers. The conference track looks very attractive this year. Um, Always. They've got a, you know, I was going through the exhibitor list the other day, and they've got a good list of exhibitors there. Um, so I think it's going to be quite a, you know, quite a, a buzzing sort of show. I think there will be an awful lot of iPhone developers there this year because um, obviously uh, iPhone app development is is a big thing. Uh, it's huge this year. Yeah. So um, you know, and I've been reading some of the stuff from uh, from Paul Kent who runs MacWorld. You know, he he he's pretty much in charge of the expo for IDG. And I think uh, it was on a different podcast. He was saying they already had like twenty five thousand people signed up to yeah. attend the show. Which is, I mean, that's that's a, a pretty good number. I think uh, last year it was somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty to thirty-five thousand. And when you consider that that Apple's not going to be there this year, that 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 many people have already signed up months in advance is is a good, you know, it, it's 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 a good foretelling or foreshadowing for the show itself. I think so, and and I think the move to February is is also going to help them out. That is, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to take some of the pressure off. Obviously, a lot of the uh, of the mainstream uh, tech press likes to cover CES, and CES was always very close to MacWorld, and it was very different, difficult for them to cover both. So, um, moving to February is definitely going to help them out. But I think it'll also help attendance of the show as well. People will be through the 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 difficulty I always find with, with your first couple of weeks of January is you're just through Christmas yeah. and all the stuff you've been doing that you many people want to travel and visit family that's what I'm doing this year and um to then kind of pick yourself up and go off for a trade show is, is uh, unless you're local is quite a big thing really so oh, but, well when, when you know cuz I drove from here outside of DC to Grand Rapids which is where Tim and I caught a flight out to San Francisco and every flight was packed I mean, we were on a, a it was a Boeing, or yeah, Boeing seven seventy seven, and there wasn't a spare seat on the whole plane, and this this was a plane that was just there wasn't a spare place you could have put another seat. It was probably one of the worst flights I'd ever had, and yeah. the fact that they've moved it to February means that you're not fighting the holiday crowd, you're not fighting the CES crowd. You know, you're not fighting everyone trying to get out to see their grandmother. It, it's just it's normal everyday traffic. Yeah, yeah. So uh, should be good. Be interesting to see how it how it goes this year. Anyway. Yep. So looking. Um, so that was kind of a bit of a low light because it, it brought a lot of people down. But I think I think one of the highlights from from Apple this year is obviously to see the return uh, and in good health, hopefully, to of Steve Jobs. Um, he was. Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, he was. I think the the last time he was seen publicly, it was obvious that he was very ill, very very skinny, and just did, you know didn't seem you know he he still had that presence and he still had the strong voice, but his physical appearance was was definitely you know much less than it had been previously. Yeah. So when he came back, uh, he obviously took a well publicized uh, few months off and. Apple was in capable hands and continued to release product and do well in the interim. But but when he came back, he he came back and he had a he had a new accessory. Yeah, came back strong. <laughs> yeah, um, he'd had a liver transplant, which uh, has, has apparently resolved all of his uh, outstanding health problems. No, let's and, hope so. Yeah, and uh, and certainly he's been uh, you know strong ever since. He's been quite by Steve standards fairly vocal. In that um, there's been a couple of events where he's been, where he's been attending and 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 talking, a couple of launches, and um, he seems to be emailing a lot more than he ever used to be. In that uh, <laughs> people send him emails, and nowadays he actually sometimes responds in a typical Steve, uh, you know, curt manner. I think the most the most recent one was the uh, developer had the uh, the name iPod in their in their. Uh, iPhone application and were being frequently rejected by Apple and so they emailed Steve Jobs directly in frustration and uh, he just re- replied back dude just change the name of your app and it's not worth it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
but um, but yeah, it's it's good that he's back at the helm. I think it's uh, it's reassured people in in two respects. First of all, that Apple could manage without him for a while, but yes. I think they were pleased to see him back. And we we wait with bated breath to see what the next wonder product will be from uh, from the from the company. And then we'll wait for version three. And speak, <laughs> speaking of of new versions of something. Uh, we had the new iPhone came out in 2009, the 3GS. 3GS, absolutely. Uh, oh, and, and the new version of the OS as well. Absolutely. I, iPhone OS. iPhone 3- OS and also 10.69 Leopard as well. So yeah. it's been all the updates this year. Now, it was interesting. I was reading a couple of weeks ago that um, while iPhone 3.0 has been very well adopted by the um, iPhone crowd on the 3G and the 3GS, on the iPod Touch it, Apparently, it only has about forty percent penetration. Most iPod Touch owners are still running older versions because, well, the speculation is because they have to pay for the upgrade. Well, yeah, but we're not talking about a huge amount. Of, what was it? Five bucks? Ten bucks? Yeah, but maybe it's uh, maybe it's the the fact is is that people aren't apparently upgrading, so maybe it is just a little bit too, a bit too much money. Well, that could be, but you know, I. You have to remember that that, and you know I'm not I'm not a business guy as last week probably showed, but there's uh, what is it uh, Sarbanes Oxley yeah, and the only reason why they they can get away with not charging now this is the way I understand it the only way the only reason they get away from not charging for iPhone OS updates is that the iPhone gives them a reoccurring revenue stream yes. That's whereas, yeah. Whereas yeah. the iPod Touch does not. Yeah. Now, if if you're looking for a reason to not update your iPod Touch, just just you know, put this in the back of your head. Almost all of the the really cool and great apps that are coming out now are going to require the third gener- you know, the the third version of the iPhone OS. Yes, I, I, I mean, I understand all of that, and, and I completely agree with you. But I, I wonder if the fact that, that so few iPod Touch owners are updating kind of indicates that for the iPod Touch, the applications aren't as big a deal. Um, or for, for an awful lot of the iPod Touch user base, in fact, they're not buying it for the applications, they're buying it as an iPod. And well, that, yeah, that, that could very well be. You know, and, and I mean... Well, it's an anecdotal example, but take my father for instance. I bought him an iPod Touch, and it was a refurb unit. So when I when I got it set up for him, um, this was a second gen model. I I updated it to the the latest version of the OS at that time, which I think was two point two point one. He's not running three. I, I mean, he wouldn't ever he wouldn't ever think about needing to run three point He doesn't really buy applications for it. He tends to use it as a, a handheld web browser, as an email client, and um, to, to watch movies and to listen to music too. Um, so maybe there are quite a lot of iPod Touch users who are in that camp and just don't care. Well, yeah, that could very well be. And if and if that's all you're going to use it for, then yeah, there, there's no reason to update it. If you're not interested in the apps, then yeah, we'll, then yeah. hold back. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, that's that's an interesting one. Now, looking at um, at Snow Leopard, that was a. It, it's it's so hard to tell nowadays whether it was a successful update or not. I mean, it was cheap. It was only thirty dollars. Yes. Um, it, it went very smoothly for me. I've got to admit, I've not had, really had any problems at all. But there was a fair amount of negative press at the time it first came out. It's but it's difficult to know whether that's just because negative press sells, you know, gets more eyeballs on pages and sells more papers than uh, the positive press. Well, I, I, w- I would think that, that you're probably spot on with the, the last bit of it. If you look at the, the Windows 7 launch, you haven't been hearing about, oh, hey, Windows 7 is, you know, is, is great and is wonderful in all these machines. What you're hearing about is Windows 7 still has the same problems as you know, Windows Vista. Hmm. Or, you know, and it's like, you know, come on. It's an operating system. It's meant to run on millions of different machines. And whether we're talking about Windows or if we're talking about OS X or OS X, yeah, you know, th- there's going to be things that, 
that don't quite go as smoothly as others. There is going to be software that work great under XP or Vista or 10.5 and is going to have problems under 10.6. And, you know, just get over it, man. It's, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Pe- the developers will update their software to run on the later hardware. And yeah. at that point, the problems that you're having will go away. It's I- like with anything else, you don't put a major OS release on a computer that you can't afford to be without. That's right. I've, I think that for the p- problems that people did have, that was probably the primary cause of it. If you did an in-place upgrade um, and took your machine to 10.6, but you still had applications that weren't 10.6 compliant, then I think that caused a lot of instability. I've seen that on a couple of my machines where I've inadvertently not checked the version numbers before I've uh, gone and installed an application and installed an older version. Yeah. And if it's not a 10.6 compliant version, uh, sometimes Snow Leopard can get a little bit uh, buggy. Uh, you know, it can become a little bit unstable. Until you, as soon as you remove the application, it goes away. So you know that's what it was. Um, yeah, so- I, I had absolutely zero problems with any of my any of any of any of the Intel-based computers that I upgraded to 10.6. And that's not to say that people didn't have problems. Obviously, some people did, but typically. Those problems were related, like you said, to third-party plugins or, or you know, some some little bit of software that they decided that they couldn't do without, and maybe it came out in the ten four days or the ten three days, but still worked up until the time that Snow Leopard was released. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's my kind of my view, but um, I guess there may well be people out there who who are convinced that that ten point six isn't for them. Obviously, if you're running Power PC, then it definitely isn't for you. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to install it anyway. But it's interesting, you know. I've I've um, I've installed ten point five on that old eMac I bought, and uh, with a bit, little bit of extra memory, it runs really really well. Um, now, how much? Well, what does that spec out to? That's a one point two five gigahertz G four. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I've put the memory up to uh, one and a half gigabytes of memory. Um, is, and that, that, is that its max? Uh, it w- it would go to two, but um, it wouldn't go past. It only has two slots in it, so you'd have to put two one gig chips in. So right. it came with two five twelve gig, two five twelve meg chips, and I took one out and put a gig chip in. Yeah, and that wasn't one of the machines that you had to worry about matched memory and no, you know. nothing like that. Basically, yeah. you just you need to find the right type because it's the the, the memory yeah. spec is quite old. But yeah, um, as, well, as, lo- as long as as long as it's it's they're both spec'd out the same. The amount of RAM yeah. doesn't matter. Absolutely, but certainly I find that that, that Leopard ten point five Leopard works. If you have a, okay. a, a well, gig, gig or more, then it's then it works fairly well. Well, let's let's geek out a little bit here. Now, I happen to know that that eMac does not have a DVD drive. It How does not. In the world, did you get ten point five on that machine when it was only ever available in DVD form? Well, this was an an interesting uh, conundrum. Um, the the simplest way to do it would be to put a the machine has FireWire and USB two, but it won't boot from USB two unlike the Intel Macs. Right. So I could have put a FireWire DVD drive on there and, and installed from there. Problem is the FireWire DVD drive I had I sold some time ago, <laughs> and I only have a USB one at the moment. Um, so I uh, basically what I did is I had an old uh, Power Mac G four tower. And a FireWire hard drive, a uh, 250 gig high FireWire hard drive. So what I did is I uh, installed Tiger, uh, I installed Leopard, sorry, off the uh, Leopard DVD to that FireWire hard drive. Yeah, using uh, the G4 Using uh, the G4 tower. tower. And then I um, booted the eMac off that FireWire hard drive. So it was effectively running Leopard at that point. And then I used SuperDuper to clone the FireWire hard drive to the internal drive on the, on the eMac. <laughs> Now, did you did you wipe the drive first? Like, did you use? Yeah, I did. Which was something I wanted to do anyway because uh, it came it came from the guy who sold it to me with ten point three on. Now that wasn't that wasn't the dead guy. No, that was that was the the iMac. The dead guy G five and and is is no longer with me. I sold it. So, uh, so the dead the dead guy iMac is dead. It it, well, it is it is it's it's gone on to a better place. (laughs) (laughs) And we shall. 
and we shall speak of it no more. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, a, a neighbor of mine called me up, I guess, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was at an estate auction, you know, speaking of people who are dying and they're selling all their stuff. And he, he didn't really know that much about Macs, but he knew that I was a Mac head. And they had a, I think it was a 433 megahertz, or maybe it was a 450 megahertz G4 tower, which goes back quite a ways. And wanted to know if it was worth spending a hundred bucks on, and yeah. he couldn't. You know, they they didn't have a monitor, they didn't have anything else to hook it up to, and but they, you know they had the power cord. And I said, well, when you plug it in, does it go bong? And he said, yeah, yeah, it does that. And I said, okay, well then it, it it'll probably boot. So yeah, for a hundred bucks, why not? Yeah. So he went ahead and bought it, and uh, it turned out it was running ten point one or or ten point two, quite quite old. And, you know, I've got software going all the way back. I've just got floppy disks around here from the old System 6 days, I think. So I told him that I would bring over my, my library of software and I would get them updated to 10.4, which is the last one that can go on that particular machine. Yeah. Except I had a little problem. And, you know, like you, I don't have a, uh external DVD drive. Yeah. So what I ended up doing was, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, this particular machine, like your eMac, doesn't have a DVD drive. It just has a CD. Mm-hmm. So I kept trying to install it, and the machine wouldn't recognize it. And I, I was you know, getting frustrated, thinking, well, what's the problem? Is there a problem with the disc? And it's like, oh, you idiot. It's a, it's a DVD-ROM disc, and this is a CD. Mm-hmm. So I ended up just putting uh, 10.3 uh, on it. Yeah. And it seems to be working really, really well. But these old computers that you can pick up for not much money, and especially, you know, I don't know if there's anybody who listens to this show that's a Windows user, but you don't have to spend a lot of money to get a Mac. No. No, and, and as we've kind of illustrated in this conversation, um, a Mac of, I mean, that eMac I've got is five years old, um, yet it will run up what was up until recently, the latest operating system that Apple, that Apple issued. Um, yeah, and, and it runs, you know, with the right amount of memory, it actually runs it pretty well. Yeah, you know, you're think, not going to use like Final Cut Pro or anything. No, like I wouldn't do that. But I mean, even if you wanted to do Photoshop or something like that, it would work fine. You can use GarageBand on there. Um, yeah, all the know, iLife stuff. Absolutely, uh, and all the photo stuff and everything is is great. It, the only the only time you really notice a slow processor is if you try and do too many things at once, right. or or if you. Um, or if you're doing stuff that really hits the process, like video encoding, then obviously, you know, a late, much later machine is going to run absolute rings around it. But for oh, general, yeah. general office use, browsing the internet, word processing, doing a getting bit of email, yeah, doing a bit of photo and that sort of thing, you know, they're absolutely fine. And certainly, if you want a second machine or a machine for the kids, um, or you just, you know, you're a Windows user, you just want to get into. Uh, you know, figure out See what, what that's all about. about. Absolutely, yeah. that's a very, very cheap way of getting in, and you don't have to spend the sort of money that you even you might spend on a Mac Mini. Yeah, so, how much uh, did you spend on that? Uh, I uh, the the eMac I, the, I think it was about forty five fifty pounds, so about seventy dollars. Yeah, for yeah. you know nothing for uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty pretty cheap yeah. really. Um, and if you don't know what an eMac looks like, it kind of looks like the original iMac, except it's all white. And it, it's got a 17-inch uh, screen as compared to the original G3 IMAX that had a 15. That's right. And it's a CRT screen rather than a, an LCD. So yes. they're kind of big and heavy. Uh, <laughs> so once, once you have it set in place, it ain't going anywhere. Well, exactly. And this was the thing with, with getting um, 10.5 Leopard onto it. You know, one of the options I had available to me was you to use FireWire disk mode put it in target disk mode and then install directly to the drive from another machine. But I didn't want to move the eMac because it weighed so much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, once it was set down in a place, I didn't want to move it unless I absolutely had to. But we were kind of, when we were talking about this, it, it's interesting. The only real reason you find for a lot of machines nowadays to use the optical drive is to do an OS installation. The rest of the time, you know, the thing is just sitting there doing nothing. And, yeah, uh, I mean, most most of the software that that you're going to buy these days, you're, you're, for the most part, you're downloading it. Absolutely. So, are, are we starting to get to the point? You know, I mean, now if you think back to the original iMac, one of the big controversies about the original iMac was that it didn't have a floppy drive, and everybody was all up in our oh, how you know how could you sell a computer without a floppy drive? 
And, you know, Jobs Jobs and Apple pretty much just said, because it's 20-year-old technology that we don't need anymore, yeah. everything's coming out on CD-ROM. Okay, well, now flash forward 10 years, and everything is coming online. Yep, absolutely. Do we still need optical drives? I certainly think their days are numbered, to be honest. And one of the reasons that for that is the fact that there are now a very large number of computers being sold uh, in the computing industry, which don't come as standard with with optical drives, and that's the netbooks. Yeah, but we remember that one of the reasons why that they don't include an optical drive isn't because that they feel that you'll be getting most of your your software online. It's because the machines themselves are so cheap. Absolutely, it's a cost saving measure. But the point is. You can buy a machine like that and do perfectly well without the optical drive. It's sure. In fact, I mean, it's, it can be kind of tough on Windows because it doesn't. Windows doesn't do disk imaging the way the Mac does. Um, you know, one of the nice things about the Mac is that it's very easy to turn any sort of drive or disk into an image that then can be moved portably and mounted very easily. Because OS X kind of does that straight out of the box, whereas Windows does not. So, um, Well, what is the Windows... I mean, you know more about Windows than I do. What is the Windows equivalent to that? You have to use a third-party utility. You use something like Daemon Tools or um, Ultra ISO that is capable of mounting ISO images um, and effectively what the software does is it does a little trick that makes the ISO file look like it's on another like a virtual CD drive uh, and then to Windows it just looks like it's another CD drive um, So, but Windows doesn't do this natively, not I even think, 7? I think Windows 7 can to a limited degree, um, Windows 7 is the first one that can and also Windows 7 is the first one that has native disk burning built into the operating system which wow. is, is new, whereas you know the Mac's been able to do all of this stuff for, for about Since six, six, seven years. So, well, it's from the go. moment from the moment that they put a uh, a CDR, we're not even talking about DVDs. From the moment the iMac got a CDR, which I think was oh uh, the three fifty or four hundred megahertz G, and we're still talking about the original iMacs. The three fifty or the four hundred megahertz G three iMacs, I believe, were the first ones that had. Uh, CD burners in them. Now, there were plenty of Windows machines that already had CD burners in them, but again, you know, you're back to the point, well, Windows didn't do it natively. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I can certainly see, a, you know, particularly in the laptops, a circumstance coming around where Apple says, you know what, we're just going to take the optical drives out of all of these machines and sell, you know, an external drive that just plugs into the USB port for people who need that. Yeah, like the uh, MacBook Air. Exactly. I could see them doing that right across the line. Um, and uh, I probably wouldn't miss it. Certainly nowadays, when you, for $20, you can pick up a, a, a 4 and 8 gig USB stick that sure. uh, you know, can run rings around the most optical drives. Uh, and uh, you know, $40, will get you a very big external USB or firewall hard drive that will also do the job. It just doesn't make an awful lot of sense anymore to... Um, to, to rely on optical media. And also remember that, that most retail stores, other than the Apple store, you're not going to find Macintosh software anyway. Yeah. And this whole, this whole move from optical to digital, and, and there is a difference there, has been necessitated by the fact that most retail stores don't have Apple software. So Apple, you know, they can't put an Apple store around every corner. So they were they were kind of stuck. Yeah. And other software developers, third-party developers that create software for the Macintosh, I think uh, it, it saves them a lot of money. It saves them a lot of time. Yeah. Well, well it's an interesting topic. We'll certainly, uh, we'll certainly see how it goes forward. Um, maybe that will be one of the things we'll see in the next round of, of Mac laptops as the optical drives disappear, or maybe not. And we're just uh, we're just talking talking from uh, from the back of our necks. We shall see. <laughs> um, we're going to take a break for a moment, and we're going to uh, have a check in from our good friend Tim Robertson, who's going to tell us something about other world computing. And we'll be back shortly. Hey, thanks, David and Guy. This is Tim Robertson calling in from Other World Computing. Got three things I want to talk about before we get back to David and Guy. But before I get to those three things, 
I want to wish the MyMac.com podcast a happy fifth year birthday. That's right. This show, coming at the very end of December 2009, marks the fifth anniversary of the MyMac.com podcast. It started in December 2004, the very end of the year. And over the years, it's seen a number of uh, changes in format and length. And at this point in time, I think it's the best it's ever been. I think David and Guy are doing a fantastic job. Love listening to the podcast. I do miss being on the show with them. And if you miss hearing me on the podcast, I want to talk about that too. My new show, OWC Radio, has launched. That's right. A brand new podcast all about the Macintosh. It's not just like the MyMac.com podcast. Number one, it's just me. I don't have any co-hosts. But I do have a lot of interviews planned. The very first episode is live now in iTunes. You can subscribe to that podcast. Go to iTunes and just do a search for OWC and you'll find it, OWC Radio. Or go up to the MyMac.com website and I have put a link on the blog side for the OWC Radio podcast. Love it if you guys listen and send us some feedback and let me know what you think of the show. First Episode has an interview with Steve Sandy, he of the unofficial Apple weblog fame. Uh, I think it's a fun interview, and it was a fun show to record. So let us know what you think. Number two, Macworld Expo. That's right. We will be at the Macworld Expo. All World Computing will have booth number 1665, and I will be at the booth from time to time. And I'm also going to be doing podcasts from the showroom floor every single day. So look for me at the Macworld Expo. Come on up. We'll get you on the show. We'll talk to you a little bit what you're seeing at the show, maybe some of your history and using Macintosh computers, that sort of thing. Just a lot of fun. It's going to be a very laid back uh, affair for me at the podcast at the Macworld Expo. And what's really kind of fun... <laughs> I'm closing the Macworld Expo. That's right. From 5 to 6 on February 13th, on the main stage, OWC Radio is closing the show. I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be kind of neat. I'm hoping that there's still going to be a lot of people at the Expo. Otherwise, I could be talking to an empty house because it is from 5 to 6 on the very last day of the show on a Saturday. But if you're going to be at the Macworld Expo, please come by our booth, booth 1665. Say hi. There's going to be a lot of people at the booth. OWC Larry, OWC Grant, and from time to time, me. And if you see me walking the showroom floor, stop me. Say hi. And finally, I want to let you know about this really cool solution from newer technology. It's called the Voyager. Specifically, I'm talking about the Voyager S2. I just bought one of these myself. And what this allows me to do is it uses bare hard drives and I could transfer data between my Voyager here in my office and the Voyager I have at home. That way I don't have to get behind the computer when I get home or here in the office and plug a new USB device in. This permanently stays on my desk here in the office, and I have another one that I just bought today for my home. That way when I have a huge file, say something I'm doing in Final Cut Pro, and I run out of hours here in the office and I want to work on it a little bit from home, how do I carry a big 50 gigabyte file with me. I'm sorry, there's no thumb drives that large yet. Easiest thing for me to do is to slap a hard drive, plug it right into the Voyager S2 here at work, copy my files over to it, undock the hard drive, which means basically I take it from my desktop, drag it to the trash and eject it, eject it from the Voyager itself, put it in my bag, take it home, and plug it into my Voyager at home. Shows up on my desktop and there's on my work files. Works fantastic. Here's the thing. $29. That's right, $29 for the Voyager S2. You can connect it up to your Mac using USB 2 or any SATA port. It's up to you. This takes both the 2.5 and 3.5 inch SATA hard drives up to 2 terabytes. 2 terabytes. Up to... So for Other World Computing, I want to thank you guys for uh, listening to the MyMac.com podcast. Make sure you check us out online at MacSales.com. And now, back to David and Guy. And we're back. We don't know what Tim's was saying to you, but I'm sure it was very good. 
It was brilliant, I'm sure. We love the Mac sales. We certainly do. So one thing, one other thing we love is buying Apple products, as apparently so, oh, yeah. does, so does everybody else. <laughs> you look at Apple's financial results for this year, and you would not know that we're actually in the worst economic downturn since World War II, because they made piles of cash. Yeah, they've had, I think, record quarters. Yeah. And while while you know other companies, Dell and HP, and, and even you know IBM and, and Microsoft, they're you know they they're still kind of holding their own, but but nothing nothing like the the, the quarters that Apple's had, at least you know the, the three business quarters that have happened so far this year. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, obviously we, you know, I think they've got the strongest lineup they've ever ever had. Um, I think that well, you, but are, are, aren't there? I mean, isn't there? Some, and I'm not talking about the tablet, but but if Apple was going to make another Mac, and it was going to be different from all the ones that they had already, what would it be for you? Um, for for me, I don't know. You see, the thing the thing for me is, I think they've actually refined their product line to pretty much exactly where it needs to be. I don't see a gap in their product line at all. I think they've kind of got all the bases covered now. They've got some excellent, excellent laptops um, that people really go for, really like. They've got a yes. they've got a cheap one there that is modelled on the more expensive ones, but is done in plastic. And some people really like the plastic ones. Um, and, and I saw those in Chicago, which was the last time I went to an Apple store, and I really liked it. I think the new MacBooks are are fabulous machines absolutely i you know i think this this kind of unibody design they've come up with is is really is a work of art um and you know much as i i've always liked all of their uh, aluminium machines i think these ones are literally the best they've ever done i think the imac as well is also a very strong line and i think with the new widescreen versions now they've kind of got a version that fits into every pocket well, they're not literally a twenty-seven inch iPad. Yeah. It doesn't fit in anyone's pocket. But well, um, that's that's the one I'm saving my pennies for. Well, absolutely for, for yeah. the i7 iMac. And I now think the- I think creating an creating a machine in the iMac line that's so aspirational is a masterstroke, because they've basically given everybody an upgrade path. That's the one people want to get. Yeah, but I tell you, man, I still want my mini tower and i know it i'm probably whining about it at this point <laughs> but I, I i want to be able and and you know the the 27 inch imac literally i i drooled over it when i saw it for the first time but having said that i still want to be able to use more storage and not have it be external yeah to, I, to, I understand that and, and i knew you were going <laughs> to mention yeah. that but i i think I but think they, they're not going to do it i don't think There's, they're going to do it because i think the problem yeah. is 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 that that is a niche product and uh I well, don't it's not so much that it, it's it's a niche product even even for apple i think the problem is is that you're right they do have all the bases covered if you don't want to spend a lot of money and your your needs are relatively light the mac mini is a wonderful machine if you need to go a little bit higher where well, they've got the 21.5 inch iMac which again is is an, a marvelous machine and priced considering you know and we're we're talking about Apple here it's priced right if you need more than that they've got the the upper level core 2 duo and i5 and i7 processors in the the 27 inch iMac and if you need more than that they've got the the still great you know going on how many years now design of the Mac Pro. Yeah. And I guess I guess it comes down to even if they would make a mini tower Mac, where would they station it? Where would they put that in the lineup? Exactly. Yeah. I th- I think that's the thing. That they're, but I still know, want one. I know, so there. I know you do. <laughs> I I think to be I think to be honest with you, the the route for that sort of thing will be um, via new technology that comes into the Macs going forward. They're already moving, obviously they moved up to FireWire 800, but I think when you see USB 3 and ultra-wideband and that sort of thing, you'll see that sort of product come out from Apple or from third parties, effectively as an add-on, but it, it's a tower-style add-on that works with the iMacs rather than something that's built into the machine. 
Well, do you think Apple would do something like a Drobo? I mean, they, they've kind of almost gone that route with the airport, uh, or not the air, um, the, uh, the, the time, time, cap- time capsule. Time capsule, yeah. Yeah, I could, I could see something like that in the future, particularly particularly if it, if it links into their media strategy. And one of the things we're looking at, um, there's been some rumors over the last few weeks about they've had they made the La La acquisition and there's been talks about them talking to book publishers and to the film and movie industry and to Disney about about doing some some different oh, yeah. subscriptions and CBS exactly so you know if we do see a subs- some sort of subscription model where local storage becomes uh, something something Cloud much more storage. that you need uh, exactly or perhaps perhaps integrated with some sort of cloud or back end. Then, uh, then possibly the need for for, for bigger local storage, um, or for cached storage, might might lead them to 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 do something that's kind of a, a combo device, but has much more media storage and and is able to be accessed much more quickly locally. Um, well, that would make more sense for for the home, yeah, where where you have your high speed connection. So you buy a movie or you buy a, a, a complete series of a TV show. And as long as you have a relatively fast connection, you don't even have to store it. Apple knows what it is you've bought. Now, the question comes down, you know, if they did do something like that, would they also offer the content that you have either created or taken off of? And we're talking about, you know, music for the most part. If, if you had the entire Beatles collection that you've ripped off of your CDs, would they also store that in the cloud for you? Or would it only be the stuff that you'd purchased from them? Uh, I think that them storing ripped CDs up in the cloud probably would have the uh, the uh, RAA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Will probably give them conniptions. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not there sure. Would, there would be a large pile of bricks of a dubious nature behind each person. Exactly. So I don't know. And that actually brings brings us on to one of the lowlights, I think, of this year. Um, this is this was when uh, when iTunes lost DRM uh, yes. on all the music, um, but the the price we paid, and it was literally a price we paid for for getting that from the music industry, was a uh, was tiered pricing. Um, and when I was when I was drafting up the show notes for 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 this show, just as an exercise, I went to iTunes and I looked at the top two hundred tracks on iTunes, and I looked at how many of those tracks were priced at a dollar twenty nine, which was the increased top top tier tier price that was introduced as part of the drm deal uh, and how many of those were priced at 99 cents or lower and it was interesting 90 percent of the tracks in the top 200 are all priced at a dollar 29 and those i don't don't think i'm sorry go ahead and those are not all new music either there is there is some stuff in there that's at least two three years old so it's not all the hot the Hot 100 or stuff like that, though obviously all the latest things are there. Um, but there is some older music, and particularly this time of year, you know, people are buying a lot of Christmas music, music that's been knocking sure. around for a long time, and a lot of that stuff is priced at $1.29. And now you think about that, that's a 30% increase in price right. for the rights to have that music DRM-free. Um, 30% price increase is fairly substantial. Well, you know? yeah, it is, but at the same time, I mean, they held the line at ninety nine cents for what four or five years. Yeah, and there was there was no way in hell that they were going to allow Apple. I mean, l- look at look at what at what the music industry was doing. They were scared to death of Apple and iTunes, so they go to Amazon and they say, "Okay, Amazon, you know, you can sell our stuff as MP threes, DRM free." for 99 cents and sometimes even cheaper than that they didn't do it because you know they're such great guys and no. you know looking out for their customers no they did it because they wanted amazon to to literally take on itunes they wanted they wanted apple and itunes to be taken down a notch and it, it still didn't work no even even apple with drm at 99 cents a song which they couldn't get out of but you know by the the contracted price that they had all signed you know they couldn't get out of it they they still couldn't and, and part of the i think part of the reason why was that the way apple had set up their drm most people and I'm, and i'm not talking about you know the, the people that get up in arms you know on 
pretty much anything. But most people didn't care. Yeah. Most people because the DRM was so seamless that it didn't affect them. Exactly, which is why I kind of feel that we won the battle and lost the war by this yeah. deal <laughs> because you yeah. know we, we're paying more for the music and it hasn't got DRM on it which is great except for the fact that we didn't really care beforehand the DRM wasn't the way Apple had done the DRM wasn't really getting in our way most of the time and kind of I've, I just feel well, maybe we were <laughs> maybe we were a little bit hoodwinked not by Apple but by the music industry here well, I think it, it was a mutual thing. Um, Apple held on to ninety nine to the ninety nine cent price point for about as long as as they possibly could. Now they had what was it? NBC and Universal dropped out of iTunes, and it was a complete disaster for NBC and Universal because none of their stuff was being sold on yeah. the, you know the number one digital digital platform. Um, I I think that it wasn't that that we lost the war. I, th- I think that DRM was just another one of the major battles that Apple really wanted to get rid of DRM, but they weren't, you know, the, the R not the RAA, but the music studios that they, they were going to hold on to that for as long as they could, unless Apple was willing to give them the tiered pricing that they'd always wanted. Yeah. So, but then that kind of leads into what's going to happen in the future with video because video is as far as DRM goes, is kind of at the same spot that that music was. The the difference being that the, the music industry had no clue that iTunes was going to become as as huge as it was, and the the video industry on the other hand have the or they have the um, the benefit of seeing what happened in music. Yeah, I. The problem I have with the video industry, the movie industry, is I, you know, I, if anything, I think they're more um, greedy and uh, short-sighted than the music industry was, and I don't think they've learned many lessons from what the music industry has been through. If the if the movie industry could find a way to charge you every time you remembered a scene from a movie you'd, that you'd watched, they would do so. Oh yeah. As far no as far as they're concerned, uh, you know, any sort of viewing is a is a chargeable item for them and uh, they just kind of don't get it that you know just pay making people pay over and over again for content in a slightly different form is just is, isn't going to wash in the long term well this this is why you know th- there were so many big players behind the whole HD DVD and and Blu-ray war yeah is that you know they were thinking oh okay well you know we went from from VHS everybody bought their their TV shows and movies on VHS then we came out with DVD and they bought all that content all over again and so now we're going to come out with the next optical platform and they're going to buy it all over again and it's not happening no blu-ray blu-ray isn't nearly as popular as as DVD was at the same time at, at its same point yeah. in its production cycle because and it, it never will be no because it's just to the average person it's just not good it's just not good enough it's no. a it's a an incremental improvement we've we've been watching a whole um whole load of episodes of dollhouse on the apple mm-hmm. tv um and we get them in hd and they look very good don't get me wrong they look yeah. very very clean very very sharp and everything is it 1080p it's no it's 720p because no. it's, it's but you know what it's good enough it, well to be honest with you uh, you know, I had a conversation with my wife about this a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, these are HD. And she went, oh, yeah. I said, uh, had you really noticed compared to what we normally watch, which is kind of a terrestrial TV over an aerial, which is fr- uh, digital free view in, in the UK, which isn't high definition. Um, right. She, it's what, 480 or, oh, or what's the power prob- probably pretty, Well, it's, it is it is for, it's 480, but it, in terms of the actual resolution being transmitted, it's probably less than that because it's very heavily compressed. Okay. Um, and I said, do you really notice much of the difference over the free view? And she said, well, now you mention it, maybe. But she said, I've never really thought about it before. Um, right. And I think that's the fundamental problem. I think most people look at a DVD. Um, and interestingly enough, we, we got an old VHS tape of a concert that she uh, she attended back in her uh, in her early days. And she's this concert video, she's she's on it somewhere. So so we got a secondhand tape and started watching it, trying to find where she was. And as soon as she fired it up, she said, 
my God, she said, I've forgotten how bad video looks. <laughs> and that's the problem. When you went from VHS tape to DVD, there was a real step change in quality. Yes. Yeah, but having done that step change, people go, well, DVD is pretty much good. You know, DVD is better than watching a movie in the theatre, unless you're watching it on digital protection projection, right. but most people projection, aren't, right. yeah? If you're watching it on um, on uh, film projection, then the, the film is still full of scratches and, and right. dust and all of that sort of thing. So DVD is better than that. It's, it certainly sounds... It sounds um, you know, better in, in, in with a good good home setup because you're much closer to the to the well, audio than you are in a theatre. Okay, well, now that now that that's that's something else is that you know most people are going out and and they're buying eight you know high definition television sets whether it's 720p or or 1080i or 1080p. But most people, I mean, that's that's about as far as they're going to take it. They're going to then they're going to hook up their DVD players and they're going to play it through the speakers that are built in to the TV itself, right? Yep. Okay. So Blu-ray. One of the things that you get with Blu-ray is much better sound, along with much better picture quality. But this is again is part of the reason why a lot of people aren't updating because they don't hear the difference. No. No, I, I, you know this. Again, it's a it's an incremental change, and you've got to have the right equipment and just the right setup to make the best use of it. I yep, think the and pro- it costs so much. Yeah, the the problem I think with the formats is that they've aimed them at the wrong audience. <coughs> Excuse me. They've looked at what the technophile and the the kind of the true media geek wants, and they've satisfied their every desire, and they've kind of missed really what the consumer wants. Actually, what the consumer right. wants is. Cheaper and more convenient, please. Yes. The way and to that, and that and that's what something like the Apple TV or some of these home media centers that connect up online through like Netflix or something like that. That's what they're getting. Absolutely, and uh, be interesting to see. I think the Apple TV starting to get some, despite the fact it's still a fairly niche product for Apple, is it's starting to get some real competition now from players like Roku and Netflix. And I think, it'll, and and also Microsoft with the Xbox is now becoming quite a big media platform. I think yes. it'd be interesting to see how Apple responds and um, whether some of these deals they're trying to tie up and and the rumours of these deals, are, in fact, is the beginning of their response to that. Whether that means some new hardware, which would be nice as well. well the, yeah, the, they do need new hardware. Now, I've seen on the refurb side uh, the 40 gig Apple TV for about 150 bucks, and I have which one, is not a bad price. No, I have one waiting for me when I go to visit my parents in a couple of days' time. <laughs> but, you know... I, I have yet to buy – I mean, you know me, David. I, I'm the kind of guy that's like, okay, well, this does 80% of what I do, what I want, but it's missing that 20%, so I'm not going to buy it. It's yeah. why I didn't buy an iPhone until the, the 3GS came out. And I've yet to buy an Apple TV for pretty much the same reason. There There are things about it that I feel that Apple missed the mark. Yeah. that That's, that's certainly true, um, and I think – you know, particularly against the Roku box, the fact the fact that it uh, it doesn't do offer the different types of streaming service that are available from from people like Roku is right. a bit of a limitation now. I think their offering via iTunes does need to be updated. But I have to say, you know, I still really like it, and uh, the the one I'm gonna the the refurb one that's waiting for me will be our second Apple TV that'll be going upstairs in the uh, in the bedroom on the TV there. Uh, purely because we want to be watch- we're able to watch the same content we've got access to on our main TV on the on the TV upstairs. Now, do so, you do you find that that only having a forty gig drive is a limitation? Not re- not really. Is a deal breaker? I, no, but the one the one on our main TV is one hundred sixty gig, but it, it's never full um, because most of the content is coming off uh, the main Mac, and um, it's not a problem for me to have that on and stream the content off the Mac if I need to. Okay, so, fair enough. Uh, so I don't think the uh, the drive is a limitation, and really for a refurb device, one hundred and fifty dollars. If I need to crack it open, put a bigger drive in there, I'm quite happy to do that. So um, I'm not too concerned about the forty key drive. Okay, excellent. Well, um, there's just one other thing that we wanted to cover. Uh, probably the the low light of the year, I think, would be um, the App Store and the. <laughs> ongoing misery with the approval process do you think that this is a big deal outside of the tech you know the tech press 
No, I, I don't think it is. I, you know, the part of it is there are there are quite a few people who are making a lot of money yeah. off of the app store, and you know, not all of the apps that have been rejected are rejected because you know Apple doesn't like the way that the name is, or Apple doesn't like you know some some little minute part of the program. A lot of times, it's that you know what. You didn't really do your homework when you made this app, and we're not going to allow you to release it. Or in the case of of uh, certain developers in certain foreign countries that shall not be named, they're having people go in and put in you know five hundred five star reviews for a crap app. Yeah, and then they get caught at it. So you think there's more to the story a lot of the time than than perhaps we get to hear. Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, because Apple, Apple, and whatever company they have contracted to review these apps, other than their correspondence to the developers themselves, it's not like they, you know, it's not like they deny an app and then send a press release to Engadget, you know, or something along those lines. They're basically just talking to, to the developer, and then the developer is going, "Oh, Apple didn't let us our app in because of, you know." this reason and this reason and this reason and i think it's because they don't like us yeah it's like yeah uh, okay all right dude yeah okay so well maybe there's a storm in the teacup um uh, i think i think you're right in that in, in the grand scheme of things the average consumer certainly the average consumer of, of iphone applications yeah it's not something they have real visibility of I think yeah. there's a few of us who follow certain blogs and, and get to hear about some of these things, right. and, and certainly, you know, I mean, I think, I think there have been some, um, like like any kind of review process, there, there have been some injustices. There have been some. Oh sure, un, oh, I, and I'm not decisions. saying that that Apple that you know that Apple can do no wrong. They've certainly made some some major mistakes in some of the, in some of the apps that have been rejected. But you know what we're talking about? I mean, there's there's well over a hundred thousand apps in the App Store, yeah. And they go through what seems to me to be a, a pretty lengthy review process, and you know there's going to be mistakes made. Yeah. So you know, listen to the feedback that you you know for all the developers out there, and, and we'll probably hear about this. You know, listen to the feedback that you get from Apple. Make the change. Just make the damn changes and move on. Yeah. You know. Whether or not you think it's reasonable doesn't really matter because it's Apple's ball and Apple's bat. And for better or for worse, and you know, and a lot of times with something like this, it can be for worse. But for better or for worse, they control the gateway. Yeah, yeah. I, I certainly would, for all its faults and for all of the um, negative comments that come up from the review process, I'm certainly happier knowing that it's there rather than the kind of free-for-all you get on other platforms, which, you know, we've all been frustrated when, when you have an, a buggy iPhone app that, that falls sure. over and brings your phone down. Um, and I think uh, the, if the review process kind of avoids 95% of that, then I, I'm kind of yeah. prepared to live with it. And in, in some ways, I think it's useful to have something that reminds us that Apple is – just another human. company, <laughs> yeah. Just another, uh, well, you know, human, and just another company. Yeah, and 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 at the end of the day, they have their business priorities, and sometimes those business priorities don't necessarily line up with the priorities of everybody who's involved with them. Right. And uh, and it, and it's not like there you don't have other avenues to follow. I mean, you've got the the Android platform is growing. You've got the the Palm Pre certainly could use. <laughs> certainly could use some better apps from from what I've been hearing. Yeah. So, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket if you're a developer. You know, if, if you've got a great idea for an app, there's absolutely no reason why you can't release it on multiple platforms. Well, this is, I mean, there's only a, a limitation of resources. And I think yes, one of the things that has frustrated some developers is the fact that they are effectively one or two-man bands. And they're kind of betting their entire output on on app store approval if they don't get that then then that kind of directly hurts them but but maybe maybe that's just kind of a a, a business risk that they need to take on board and and deal with um certainly in my business we often bid for work we put a lot of effort of effort bidding in for work that and we don't, don't we it. don't win uh, yeah. and sometimes those those losses are unfair we were 
we were only ever in there to put a proposal in just basically to provide price benchmarking for the guy who was going to get the exactly. job in the first place. So exactly. uh, you just kind of have to take the rough with the smooth. That's business, I'm afraid. Yep. Yeah. Well, certainly been, uh, as, as I said at the beginning, an, an up and down year. But uh, I think all in all, um, things are looking good, certainly compared to some of the years in the past where, uh, where you know, it, oh, didn't, it, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't sure whether the company would survive. I certainly now hope... This, this has been a wonderful year for Yeah, Apple. absolutely. And I, I certainly hope that um, all of our listeners have had a, a good year in terms of their, uh, their Apple and their Mac and their iPhone usage, but also in more general terms that uh, yeah. things have, have gone well. I know it's been tough for a lot of people. It's, you know, the economy's not great. And, yes. uh, you know, people have lost jobs and people are, f- are struggling to find work. And all of that is always a worry. Well, I hope I hope that, that the uh, the year in the future will be a better year in terms of all of that sort of stuff that it has been this year. Uh, and we'll all stop worrying about the... Uh, the planet going up in smoke as well. Uh, and well if, if you're going to go out on New Year's Eve, which is tomorrow night, make sure that you have a designated driver. Make sure that you're careful. We yeah. want to see you next year. Absolutely. And um, we hope that you'll continue to listen to us as we uh, muddle our way through this podcast yep. thing. Uh, and um, we shall see you next year. And thank you for listening to the MyMac.com podcast. Please send all feedback to podcast at MyMac.com. Be sure to check out our other shows, including Geekiest Show Ever, My Photo Tech Podcast, Your Own Victory Garden, and Sam's Cool Picks. All available in iTunes.